Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 9 through 11, and chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Please follow along in your own Bibles or the screen in front, or simply listen as the passage is read aloud. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. And now from chapter 42, 1 through 4. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, High Rock and Mars Hill. It is good to be with you here this morning on the second Sunday of Advent, um, just before um, I get into the message. Um, last week, Pastor Josh announced about the My Christmas 3 and our opportunities for us to not only give uh, within our family, but also to give to other causes. And um, this week, uh, it's been a tradition at Mars Hill that we uh, celebrate with what's called Angel Tree. And it's a uh, ministry of the prison fellowship. And what it does is help those who have incarcerated parents um, to not only be able to present Christmas gifts um, to those children of incarcerated parents, but also to share the gospel with them. And so they minister to the parents who are incarcerated and then also minister to the children who receive the gifts. And so um, we have uh, 48 uh, wonderful children um, that need to be sponsored. Um, as of this morning, we have 45. Um, and so we have some who have already sponsored this morning. But directly after service, I invite you, uh, uh, we'll have some people outside there where you can get a tag for one of the kids um, and sponsor them. And then we'll ask that you bring that gift back um, next week. Um, this year, we are sponsoring um, kids there in the New Hampshire area. And so we just want to share the love of Christ um, with them in this Advent season. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's pray as we go to the word of God. Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We pray that as your word goes forth this morning, Lord, it would be light unto our hearts and to our minds and that we might be able to, Lord, comprehend, Lord, the goodness, O oh Lord, of you sharing and speaking to us, O oh God, that you are present with us. And Lord, you sent your only begotten son to this earth to dwell among us. Thank you for that wonderful message. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. 
Uh, from a young age, um, I've had an interest in what is known as apologetics. And so for those of you who know theological terms, apologetics is the defense of the faith. And um, though I grew up in a Christian household with parents who were in ministry, I experienced uh, what Henry Blackaby has termed as a crisis of faith. Um, and this is a period in time where uh, as we grow in Christ or as we grow in the knowledge of God, there is this crisis of understanding between what we know and the reality that is in front of us. In a season of Advent, we are come right in front of the world of brokenness that is in front of us, yet the hope of a returning king who will come and who will bring back order to all the things that are in disorder, who will bring back joy to the places of mourning, who will bring back uh, the love that is needed in this world. And so uh, I remember at a young age, my particular crisis of faith happened when I was in my college years. Um, It wasn't that, uh, uh, as we sometimes term it, it wasn't that I backslid or it wasn't that I lost a heart of God, but um, my challenge in that time or my crisis of faith was that I struggled to understand God's ways and whether his ways were fair or not. You don't have to raise your hand today, but have you ever been in a moment where it did not always seem that what God was doing was fair, where it did not always seem that God was, you know, we, we used to say in the church that he's an on-time God, but sometimes it feels like he's a little bit late. Sometimes he feels like it's like the red line, you know, it's delays on track number two, train delayed, and all things are being delayed in life, but in the midst of all of those things, God still is faithful. My crisis of faith came because in the midst of coming to a college campus, I remember I was sharing the gospel with one of my classmates. Um, she was in the, uh, the dorm that I was in, and she had came to the University of Michigan from India. And I remember sharing with her about the gospel, inviting her to church, and inviting her to come out and, and to learn more about Jesus. And, and I remember she looked at me, and she smiled at me, and she said, Joseph, that's so such a wonderful story, but guess what? I just want you to know that, you know what? You're a Christian because you grew up in a household where your parents were Christian. I'm a Hindu because I grew up in a household where my parents were Hindu. It's just the way God wanted it to be. Her words was that was just the destiny that we were bound to have. I struggled and I had a crisis of faith and I began to wonder in my mind, was my belief rooted simply in my geographical place of origin? Did I simply believe in God because that was what my parents believed and my grandparents believed and that was the tradition that we had? We all may have different family traditions. Some of you expressed them during this Christmas time, things that we've done over and over again and and they're unique to our families. And I struggled because I was now wrestling with this idea of a God that I had thought was so big, but maybe in the mind of this woman who had questioned 
what I had presented to her was the gospel big enough to reach beyond just the family origin or the geographical place that I had grown up in? Was God real to me only because I had parents who raised me in that heritage? In my crisis of faith, I set out that either my faith had to be my own or it wasn't worth the religious practice. For my faith to be real, my Savior had to be more than a local cultural phenomenon. He had to be able to save everyone from every culture, tribe, and tongue. And I began to set out on this journey to learn and to understand what was it that I believed and why did I believe it. As I began to study the word for myself and I began to look and say, Lord, show me more about you. I don't want to just know it because this was what my parents did or my grandparents did. I wanted to know God for myself. And as I began to study his word, one of the things that began to strengthen me was the fact of looking at all of the biblical prophecies. As you began to look throughout all of the Old Testament, I began to look at the stories and it would be foretold and it would speak of someone who was to come. And I now had the benefit of being able to look back in history and be able to say that all that God foretold came to pass and it came to pass exactly as was said. One of the things that strengthened my faith in God was the fact of knowing that God was not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. And the words that he spoke long before it would ever come to pass, we can look back with the benefit of time and history and to be able to see that God has been faithful to his word. Depending on how you organize the list, there are anywhere from 40 to 300 messianic prophecies of the coming of Christ. And here during this time of Advent, we think and we enter into the brokenness. We enter into the darkness. And what we're entering into a period where we are longing for something to come. Something that is more than the present reality. Something that can go beyond what we're living in right now. I don't know about you, but I understand what it means when we think about brokenness and we say, come Lord Jesus would you come when we say come not just come to return but come to enter in enter in oh God Lord into the depths of the places the places that need you on a daily basis Lord enter in come in in this day and age see these prophecies that were given they were written long before Jesus was born from a scientist, a scientist, excuse me, scientific perspective, even if you take some of the 48 major prophecies about Jesus, the chance that they would come to pass exactly as they were written, all of them in the order that they are, would be, the, 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 that chance would be one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. 
That's a whole lot. All that to say that some of us, we live our life by looking at coincidence. But the God of all of the universe proclaims that all that he does is not of coincidence. It is of divine design. You are here today. Some of you are even in the Boston area here today, not because you ordered all these different things or not because school or job brought you here. Yes, those were the outward reasons, but when you look down to the root cause, I'm I'm an engineer, so we like to look at root cause of things. The root cause of it all is by God's divine design. He took All of our lives, he's ordered them, he's sequenced them, he's placed them in right order. And the amazing thing about it is, it's one thing after something has been done to be able to look back and say, oh yeah, I knew that was going to happen. But how many of you can be honest and look back over your life, the last year, five years, ten years, and if you look at it and you can say, man, I I didn't think I would be here, or I don't think I would be in the midst of this, I don't think. And I'm not just talking about the good stuff, but I'm talking about some of the challenges that you experience, some of the challenges that you are going through even right now. Uh, Some of you know, and I shared a little bit before Thanksgiving about one of my ongoing health challenges, and when this happened and the news of this happened, it was not something that I would have expected would have been a part of my life. But in the midst of it, what gives me comfort is that the same God who long before I ever knew there would be challenges spoke and says, I know that I have a plan and a future for you. I knew it. I knew that he spoke those words, not just as idle words, but he spoke it in full knowledge of everything that was to come. One of the most monumental things that I have had to grab hold of as a believer in Christ is that nothing takes God by surprise. Come on. Some of y'all got children that took you by surprise. We go through life. And there are things that happen to us that we have never planned. But what God reveals to us is that while it is a surprise to us, to God, he is working and orchestrating and placing them together so that his divine plan can be accomplished. Why would God choose to speak to us through prophecy? Why would God choose to share what is to come before we ever get there? The heart of the Old Testament centers around Israel and their, their journey coming out of a place of bondage. But you know what was interesting is that long before they got to the place of bondage, this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, listen, I am going to allow you to go into bondage, but do not fret because I'm going to deliver you with a strong and a mighty hand. And so though you might go and endure through a season, I, the Lord, will be with you. I believe that no matter what we're going through in the seasons that we are in, 
God has been speaking to us. He's been speaking through his word. He's been speaking. And why is he doing that? Because on the human nature and the human spectrum, the greatest thing that we are always going up against is the human nature of fear. The human nature of fear. Fear causes us to shrink back. Fear causes us to go the other direction. Fear causes us to hide away. Fear causes us to cower in shame. Fear causes us to do things that we have not been called to do. But God reveals his plans and his purposes to each and every one of us so that we will fear not. Come on, say that with me. Fear not. Come on, say it again. Fear not. Our assignment, as God speaks into our lives, as we read and understand the prophecies that he gives unto us, some of us, we want to be able to tell, when is God coming back? When is Jesus coming back? Will it be in 2015? Or, well, that's already passed, but will it be in 2020? Well, there were some people who, uh, you know, they, 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 had, they had it all figured out. And there are some people who that's what they make their life of. That's not the reason why God gave us his word. He gave it so that in the midst of what we are going through, we would fear not. We would not be afraid. We would trust in him. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 15 and 4. As he's speaking about scripture, he says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Hope and encouragement. In a season of brokenness, I like that we wait, that we have to pause. There is a hope that we see, but we have to enter in and wait patiently. Wait patiently. Did you notice when we had the moment of silence that there were kids? They didn't really care about the moment of silence. My son's jumping, flipping over chairs over here. You can hear babies crying in the background. And it presents this image because even in the times where we're trying to be quiet and reflective and just pause and think, there is still an ongoing time and currency that we're walking in right now and still having to deal that as we wait, there are all the things that are vying for our attention. While we're waiting, there are all these things that are around us that seemingly could distract us. But in the midst of us, God gives us a word. And he tells us to wait patiently for him. 
today, I want to briefly look at three passages. We read two of them this morning, and I'll close with a passage in John. But I want us to look at three passages and discover what they teach us about Advent, the coming of Christ, as we wait. As we enter into a time of brokenness, a time that we can understand what was it like to be in anticipation of Jesus' birth. And now, what is it to be in anticipation of Christ's soon coming return? The message that Paul and the apostles continued to proclaim was that Christ was the soon coming king. And he did not want us to forget it, lest that in the midst of forgetting about his return and his coming back, that we would be like those whose lamps went out because they were not ready for the king. Our first passage that we begin to look at is in Isaiah chapter number 40. And what we begin to discover and what we'll look at in each of these passages is a characteristic about the soon coming king. And I like this and I want this to stick with you as you take this message today because God, as he gives us and shows us about the characteristic of Christ, it helps us so that as we are waiting, we know what we are waiting for. If I can be honest, you know, I like surprises, but I like controlled surprises. I like to make sure that the surprise is going to be exactly what I want to be surprised by. Come on, anybody, anybody, you know, know what that's like, you know, so you slip, you know, a note to your wife and say, here's a list of 10 things and you can surprise me with all 10 on the list and I'll be, I'll be equally surprised. And so I like to control the situation, but in this, we know what we are expecting and waiting for because it is spoken of by the prophets of old, and now we have this same hope of knowing that the Christ who came and entered into this world and then went to the cross and ascended on high is the same Christ who is coming back again, that we can wait in anticipation that he is going to bring order and bring it back into the way that he designed for it to be. The first passage is in Isaiah chapter number 40, and the characteristic that we see here is Strong, yet tender. Strong, yet tender. We begin reading here in Isaiah chapter number 40, and actually, as you start off this passage, it starts off with the prophet writing here, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. The first prophecy that we see here is dealing with a time and a day and an age and specific to some of the struggles that they were going through at this time. In this place, Israel and Judah had walked far away from God and they had experienced what was known as God's divine judgment. 
Now, one of the things that the Old Testament is famous for is the judgment of God. And we see here that even those who God loves, the New Testament teaches us, those who God loves, he chastens, or it means that he refines us. He, 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 he helps us to get better. And in the midst of this, he was bringing Israel and Judah to a place where they had walked away from God back to a place where they were going to be connected back to God. God's love for them had never ceased and this word of comfort began being proclaimed in the land and this word that was used here for comfort it was a deeply emotional world word overwhelming with feelings of pity concern and love in the midst of it how could we know that comfort was really coming in the midst of pain and suffering if you've ever gone through a place of tragedy or a place of difficulty you know what it's like that when someone comes and they say it's gonna be okay it'll get better if I can be honest sometimes those sound like great words but in the midst of my pain it's hard to be able to see beyond the pain that I'm sitting in right here presently to be able to know that the comfort that you are talking about is real. You know, it's one thing for us to talk about a king who is coming back again, but how do we know this is not just some fantasy that we're talking about? How do we, if maybe we struggled like my colleague at the University of Michigan, maybe we struggle and wonder, well, maybe this was just how it was meant to be and how life would happen. We begin to see unfolding here in Isaiah 40 this picture of God not only speaking of comfort but coming in and bringing the signs of comfort that would be fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. How do we know that comfort is coming? We look there in Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse number 3. And in this, it tells us in verse number 3, there will be a shout, a voice shouting. And it says, a voice said, shout, I asked, what should I shout? Shout that the people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass uh, withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with this people. And so what begins to happen is that they begin to say that there will be a voice crying in the wilderness. We know that will be John the Baptist who would be the forerunner of the one who is to come. Now, one of the things that it says, it says there, and look there in verse number three, Isaiah 40 and verse number three. It says, listen. It's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wastelands for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will sit to get, see it together. The Lord has spoken. Now, as we read this passage here, it's important to understand the historical context of what this was pointing to. 
it was custom back in the day that for Eastern monarchs who were traveling through their domain, that long before they would travel through their domain, they would send men who would go through the land and they would prepare the way by removing stones. They would level the rough places. They would fill up hollows, cleaning up trash and litter, and generally making the roads the road pleasant and easy for the distinguished travelers and their guests. Now, I know in uh, (laughs) our interesting uh, road uh, place that we have here in Massachusetts, we don't always feel that someone is going out to level the land or to prepare the way. But what they would do before a king was to make sure that the land would be level and straight and ready for those who would be traveling on it to be able to go. And what the scriptures prophesied would be that there would be one who would come, who would level the road, who would make way. We know him as John the Baptist. He was coming not because he was the king, As a matter of fact, he said he's not even worthy to wear the sandals or tie the sandals of the one who was to come. But he was preparing the people for a king that was to come. So what is that king? What is he like when he comes? As we said here, the first thing we see is that he is strong yet tender. Verse 9 declares, tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. And then we see this beautiful picture of Christ. He says, yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. Now, here's something that, as I was reading this, that really resonated with me. I know that, you know, oftentimes we think if we could just multiply ourselves, the world would be a much better place. But I've come to realize that I need a savior that is not like me. If my savior can only do what I can do, then there are going to be situations and things that will be insurmountable for him to overcome. But what I've realized is that I need a Savior who is stronger than me. I need a Savior who is able to go in the midst of situations and pull back. And even the times when I don't feel like I have enough strength to keep on persevering, I need a Savior who won't give up. And here, Isaiah reminds us, the sovereign Lord, he is coming in power. And then it says, he will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. We begin to see the strength of the Lord. But then, in a dynamic twist, when you go to verse 11, he begins to say, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arm, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. As I begin to read those words, I don't read it in abstract, but I begin to imagine myself 
as that gentle lamb. The one who's experienced brokenness. The one who still has family issues. The one who sometimes deals with anxiety. The one who sometimes is in need of God's love and care that will just say, sometimes, God, I just need you to just love on me. And be reminded that Christ, as he comes in strength, still comes with a tenderness that I need, that I desperately need. And he gently leads me along the way to his glory. He is strong, yet tender. The second passage that we see is in Isaiah 42. And verses 1 through 7 of Isaiah 42 contain what are known as Isaiah's servant songs. This is the first of Isaiah's servant songs. And they describe the ministry of a special ideal servant who accomplishes God's purposes for Israel and the nations. They had no concept that Christ would come into the world and dwell amongst them. But they began to hear these words that Isaiah proclaimed. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. We know that he is strong yet tender. But the second thing that we know is that God and Christ, our coming king, is just in all his ways. Here we see that the coming Savior would bring justice to the nations. Just earlier this year, we spent time as two churches, three churches coming together, and we spent a weekend talking and looking at some of the injustice that is in our world. I'll be honest with you that sometimes when you see injustice all around you, it becomes overwhelming. I understand the cry of Habakkuk who said, how long, O oh Lord, will you let injustice prevail? And some of you, you've experienced personally injustice, whether it's become as a result of race or whether it's become as a result of your love for Christ, whatever, but you've experienced injustice in the world. And one of the things that injustice teaches us to do is to become fearful of it and cause us to shrink back. But what we receive here from the prophecy of Isaiah in 42 is that he declares that the Lord will send a savior and he will bring justice to all the nations. We often think of justice simply in the terms of things have been, that have been done wrong to us, but we must also realize that we have done wrong things to others as well. And the Lord declares that justice that we desire is not found in revenge or punishment for those who have aggrieved us, but it is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
He was the coming king, and he is coming back again. And just like for Israel and Judah, he would bring justice into the world. We know that in 2018, the returning king will make all just and right. But here is something that you have to understand. You never appreciate the justice that God brings if you don't sit in the brokenness of the injustice that is all around us. Part of Advent is not running to our places of comfort, not running to our places where I, I could just ignore those things, but it is sitting right in the brokenness, sitting right in the mess of it and saying, Lord Jesus, I see it all around me. And I invite you to step in and to bring justice to a dark world. One of the things that I appreciate here as the prophet talked about it, he says that the, 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 the coming king would not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Now, I realize we have a different cultural understanding most of us do not light our homes with a candle. But to understand what the prophet was talking about was that often you would have a candle with a wick on the top. And it, with that wick, it would go down into a vase which had oil in the bottom. And the candle would continue to light and continue to go on because the wick was connected to the oil that was fueling it to keep the light burning. But what he begins to say is that he will not put out the flickering light, meaning that there were those whose light, it was only lit by the wick that was there, but the oil had dried up. It's very possible that in the midst of seeing injustice all around us or even experiencing it ourselves, that we can be like that candle. Dried up. The light of Christ no longer fueling us but feeling like we're in a place where when is our light going to burn brightly again? And the prophet tells us that the coming king will be a just king. So he is strong yet tender. He is just in all his ways. And finally, he is the light in the midst of darkness. Our last passage is found in the New Testament Gospel of John. And in John 1 and verse number 6, it says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, and may I paraphrase, and to everything, was coming into the world. Darkness is the metaphor for the chaos of mankind's sin. You ever been walking around in the darkness and stubbed your toe? 
what you know is that when darkness is there, though you can get to a destination, oftentimes there are hurts and pains that come along the way that you stubbed and you tripped over. And those of you who have young kids, you know about Lego pieces that you've stepped on. I sometimes wonder who created them. I think there was a part of the fall that was not included in there. And part of the fall was in God let Legos be left on the floor by your young kids. But you know the feeling when you stubbed your toe along the way. And some of us, we live life stumbling our way, stumbling as we go. And we look at it and we say, oh, I've made it to my destination. But what Christ proclaims to us is that in the midst of the darkness, he's come to bring the light. So that in the times when we feel that we're not strong enough to handle the situations that are in front of us, he is the light that is leading the way and carrying us the places that we need to go. In the times when we look at it and we see, Lord, it just doesn't feel fair. We are reminded that there's a God out there who has sent his son, who will be the one who will lead us and will bring all things new and put everything right back in the order. And he is the light in the midst of the darkness. John the Baptist was a forerunner to clear the stumbling blocks, which was sin. He was making way. For the coming king. And on this second Sunday of Advent, what I ask of you is would you let the Holy Spirit make way in your heart for the coming king who is coming back again, who will come in glory and in power and will be our God above all. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we thank you so much for your loving kindness and your grace. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the reminder that long before we ever knew of the coming of Christ, you spoke and you foretold that there shall become a king who would come to this earth, who would be our risen Savior. From him, we would have hope and expectation. From him, we would fear not. From him, we would know what it meant to trust truly in God Almighty. Lord, as we've been reminded from these three prophetic passages, Lord, help us to remember that in the midst of our time of waiting, that you, O oh Lord, are faithful to your promises. I pray for those who are in our audience and our congregation this morning. There are situations and circumstances, Lord, that you know that even as some are anticipating and there are sitting in the brokenness, sometimes it feels like too much to be able to carry. But Lord, in the midst of it, may we have hope in your words that you will be our strong yet tender king. You will be our God, who, our Christ, King, who is just in all your ways. And you will be the King 
who is the one who is the light in the midst of darkness. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen.